Christian days is, is that of arranged marriages. In arranged marriages on uh, the wedding day, they would uh, make sure that the potential groom would not be able to see the bride until they, in essence, said, I do. Well, you ask yourself, well, what difference does that make? Because most of the time, uh, the groom did not see his lady until the time of the wedding. So they didn't want him to peek around the corner and say, let me see what I'm getting myself into. So they didn't want him to change his mind at the last minute because he didn't like what he see. So therefore, it has become a tradition for the groom not to look at the bride before their wedding because it is bad luck. Well, as a church, we are entering into a period of prayer and fasting. It's a time in which we have decided to seek the Lord more intentionally, which includes abstaining from activities we normally practice for enjoyment, like eating sweets, watching television, drinking soda pop, or whatever your vice may be. It is that time that we will abstain from that in order to seek God's face. But the temptation of breaking our fast is great. Because once we see those things we are abstaining from, we want to back out of the fast and give an excuse while, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to have a little bit today. And then I'm going to tag that time on at the end of my fast. And some of you, you know you're already getting ready. Okay, if I break my fast, I'm going to do a restart, right? You have new terms for it. I'm going to do a restart with my fast before the Lord. But fasting for the sake of fasting or to look more holy or righteous to other people has become a practice or tradition for a lot of folks, some folks want to look downcast. They want to tell others that this is what I'm fasting from uh, so they can appear to be more holy than what they really are. So they pray and they fast, but it really means nothing. It reminds me in a certain religion that what they do is uh, they have a time of prayer and fasting. And they pray and fast throughout the day. But at evening time, they can eat like pigs. Jesus was confronted by people who held to practices and traditions that made uh, these folks look really good on the outside. But on the inside, there was not much meaning there. And they wanted Jesus to follow suit. They wanted Jesus to follow them in these practices. They're saying, Jesus and your disciples do as we do. But Jesus, being God, he automatically rejected it. Why does Jesus reject people's practices of tradition? Why? 
Why does he seem to accept some and not accept others? I'd like to offer you three reasons, please. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. And here's the first reason. People who promote these practices are hypocritical. People who promote these practices are hypocritical. Let's read, please, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You see, personal practices that become institutionalized may over time become more than what they should be. Personal practices that become institutionalized may over time become more than what they should be. It's very interesting, verses 1 and 2, that we oftentimes see people gathering to Jesus Christ. And why did they gather to Jesus Christ? They gathered to him because they were looking to be made whole. They were looking to Jesus to be healed. Have you ever looked to Jesus to be healed? Or do you just figure out that life is just going to continue the way it always has for you? Why do you look to Jesus if you look to Jesus? Oftentimes it is to be healed. Jesus, help me here and now. Or is to help someone else that we know. Amen? But the Pharisees, on the other hand, uh, they were not gathering to Jesus because of a chronic physical illness or malady. They came to Jesus to watch and see uh, whether he would violate any rules which they had put in place. Well, how are you going to go to God and say, God, uh, we need to make sure that you're doing everything right? How does the imperfect go to the perfect to give them suggestions on the way to live? Doesn't make any sense. There were many practices and traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes held to, but the one in question this time uh, centered around the proper religious way to wash one's hands. Now, I know that some of you are religious uh, of sorts because uh, you have gone into the restroom sometimes and other people have gone into the restroom as well and when they finish doing whatever people do in the restroom uh, some folks as you know uh, they just want to walk right out that door and you want to get really religious on them and say hey wait a minute uh, don't you want to wash your hands and if you're something like me one of the things that I always do is 
I just always assume that people are not as religiously oriented as I am and diligent in cleansing my hands when I go in the restroom. So what I do is when I finish cleansing my hands religiously, what I will do is I will grab a paper towel and take that paper towel and open the door. So in one sense, we all are kind of religious concerning folks washing their hands. But this is not what the Pharisees and the scribes and the folks were talking about. In the ESV, it says here that they were not washing their hands, in verse 3, properly. It says properly. Well, there's a little bit more to just this properly. Uh, in other words, when it was time for them to cleanse their hand, what properly meant was uh, they had to cup their hands in a certain way. And as they cupped their hands in a certain way, water was poured onto their hands. And to make sure that they were ritually uh, purified, that water not only had to come over their hands, but the water had to come down towards their wrists too. You see, if the water only made it to your fingertips, oh, no, no, you didn't do it right. If it only made it to the palms of your hands, no, 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 you didn't do it right. That that water had to come all the way down. But here, the issue was not uh, the extent in which the water purified the hands. The issue was simply that Jesus said to his disciples, let's just eat. Come on, boys, let's just have something to eat. And as you know, the Pharisees and their boys, they were watching Jesus like a hawk, watching them to see, well, what is going on with you? But you can't wash your hands properly. So it's not just the fact that they washed their hands was important, but the way that they positioned their hands. Uh, they were being very nitpicky about the process. So it's very interesting that Mark spent in verses 3 and 4 uh, two verses describing the practices of the Pharisees that they wanted everyone to comply with. And this is significant because Mark wants us to stop and take a look that it wasn't simply about washing hands, but pots and vessels and even where they sat. As you recall, uh, that uh, the Jews had taken up this position of not just simply being separate from the Gentiles, but they didn't even want to touch the Gentiles. In fact, uh, even today, they still call us the Goy. If you're not Jew, you're called a Goy. Goy is go Goyim, which means that you are a Gentile. And for some, you can't go into their house, and if you touch their stuff, they have to wash it really, really clean. Because they're saying to you and I that we are unclean and they are clean. So here is Jesus now being confronted by the Pharisees saying that Jesus, you God, are not doing it right. But these traditions were based on the dictates of people who had set up a process that ultimately kept people in bondage. You've heard this before. Uh, you remember again uh, the old-time saints of old uh, that remember when women could not wear pants, women could not wear lipstick, 
else you would be considered a, a sinner. And I know that some say you couldn't wear it to church, but for other folks, you couldn't wear it at all. But Jesus, being who he is, he would not allow himself nor his disciples to start down the road of spiritual slavery. So if you as a Christian, uh, people start saying, well, as a Christian, uh, you know, you can't wear this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, okay, okay, we, we get that, we understand that, but there is freedom because the Scripture says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you're not free in the Lord, then something is wrong. So Jesus saw right through their facade, and he called them out. I, I, I love that about Jesus. You know, sometimes the portrayal uh, we, we see of Jesus, like Jesus always spoke softly. Jesus always carried a little stick. Oh, my son. Oh, my daughter. But, but, but one of the things that we oftentimes forget is the directness in which Jesus had in his conversation. Verse 6 here in Mark 7. And he said to them, Jesus here, not uh, pulling any punches, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines uh, the, the commandments of men. In other words, Jesus was saying that uh, these Pharisees, that they got it all mixed up. Why? Because the Pharisees, they were saying, our practice of worship is not only mandatory, but our practice of worship is precise. It has to be done exactly this way, else you will be held in contempt of the law, our law. It's like saying that when you come to church, that every time, that when it's time to worship, that you have got to raise your hands. Well, no. But when you come to church, you have just got to sit still. Well, no. Or someone who wants to bow down in church before the Lord because the presence of the Lord has been so intensified in their heart that all they can do is submit themselves and to humbly bow down and prostrate themselves before the Lord. No, we do not even cast judgment on that either. Whatever the Lord has placed in our hearts. The Pharisees had a spec sheet for worship. And you could not worship without going through your checklist. Else they themselves would make sure you would follow proper protocol. It would be like getting a measuring tape. When it's time to worship, someone came to you and they would say, okay, let's see how far apart your hands are when you worship. Let's see. We got a measure here. Okay, we got that right. Here, no, you can worship a little bit higher right there when it's time to worship. Well, wait a minute, not that high. Come down about a quarter of an inch. Can you imagine if worship was like that? Wouldn't that be fun? This is exactly the bondage the Pharisees had placed upon the people, not just Jesus and the disciples. So Jesus summed it up this way, Matthew 23, 24. Matthew chapter 23, verse 24. He sums it up this way. You blind guides, straining out a net 
and swallowing a camel. You blind guys straining out a net and swallowing a camel. In other words, he was telling them that you are interested in such minutia in worship that you forget about the big thing. How can they be so particular about these small things while all along forgetting about God? How can you come to church and have and say you have a relationship with God, but once you get to church, the last thing on your mind is God? This is one of those dilemmas we find ourselves in when we are not connected with the Lord. If our relationship with the Lord is not vibrant and healthy, we will be guilty of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. In other words, we're so intent of getting rid of all the dirt in the bathtub where the baby is that we toss the whole thing and even the baby goes. Jesus says, some of us, we're so intent about the minutia of worship or how we act in our relationship with him that we forget about him. So the spiritual practice of the Pharisees parallel that of the nation of Israel as chronicled by Isaiah, which was nothing but false worship. False worship, in this case, was a worship that had all the external trappings and practices and habits that appeared like true worship while lacking the internal truthfulness and connection with God. So in other words, you can have someone raising their hands, you can have someone uh, clapping their hands before the Lord, but at the end of the day, if they're not right with God, all of their worship is in vain. As in Isaiah, the referred to God's people has been replaced with the words, look at that, this people. You see that here in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, again, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people. This people. Instead of referring to the nation of Israel as my people, he refers to them as this people. This indicates distance and a sense of unknowing as to the relationship between them and God, which should have been a given. The question is, has Jesus ever called you this person? Has Jesus ever looked at you when you've come to church and said, look at this person, worshiping me with their hands and their lips, while inside they're nothing but full of dead man's bones. He may not call you that, but sometimes your fellowship feels exactly like that. Your fellowship feels distanced from God. Jesus labeled the Pharisees and anyone who followed their empty practices of worship as hypocrites. Remember, what was a hypocrite? A hypocrite was an actor. That was uh, the word that was originally described who a hypocrite was. Uh, They were a person who was an actor on the stage. They came to the stage to pretend to be someone else, and they didn't want you to see who they were. They just want you to see the character. So this hypocrite is a a person who's not happy with being who they really are. They want to pretend before you and I that they're more than what they really are. But the craftiness, 
the sneakiness of hypocrisy is the ability to be someone else without, if you're really good, right, without them knowing who you are, right? Uh, coming up soon, uh, we have, uh, I'm not sure when it is, but I know before the month is out, I know we have the Oscars coming up. Who's the best actor? Who's the one that can go on stage or on screen to pretend to be someone else so convincing that it looks like that's the person for real? Jesus not only charges the Pharisees with being hypocrites, but he also lobs those charges against people who see that there's something wrong in the world, yet they refuse to call it as it is. What? Jesus says that there are people in the world that they know that something is not right spiritually in the world, but they don't want to call it as it is. Here we go. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 54. Luke 12, 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a, a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. Verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So in other words, Jesus was saying, these folks who, who know deep down inside their heart that there's something wrong with this world internally and that something is all going to come to a head one day, they can tell, Jesus says, for those folks who see it, but says that, no, it's nothing but peace. That's just how the world is. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Jesus says that when these people say they can't recognize something is amiss and the end is near, they are fooling you. Don't jump on their bandwagon. Don't jump on their bandwagon because they are lying to you. Jesus says you better, you better live to the Lord. Why? Because people know. In their hearts they know the tragedies, the evilness, the accidents and natural disasters are all speaking to a larger story which they know is not going to end well. Why do you think they're trying to get off this planet today? Why do you think they're trying to find another earth today? They know that this thing is going to come to an end if it continues on the trajectory that it's currently on. They know it's coming to an end. Let's find another earth. So Jesus correctly links perfunctory and insincere worship to the following of traditions of people. Any type of worship based on the activities of individuals are doomed to fail from the very start. And this is why faith founded on and maintained by works is deficient and eventually leads to malnourishment. Faith founded on and maintained by works. In other words, I have to do this to please God. I have to do this to go to heaven. No, 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 no. That's all a lie. Our faith is, uh, is based on us going to heaven. It's based on faith alone in Christ alone. There is nothing that you can do to please God. 
When you came out of your mom's womb, you were labeled a sinner. I don't care how good you were in your life. I don't care how pretty your mama and your daddy said that you looked. At the end of the day, God said, this is a sinner. We were all malnourished from the start. But oftentimes when we walk this life, we feel like we're full. And one thing about junk food, you know, you, you can really desire it a lot, right? And when you start eating junk food, it's just, you know, you got that desire, you start, it's like it's really, really good, right? It's like, oh man, this is, uh, th this is so good. And then you can get full off of junk food, can't you? You can get full off of eating a lot of ice cream, potato chips, and drinking soda pop and all that. You can get really, really full. But one thing that you know is that sooner or later you're going to start to feel bad. Right? Because you have filled yourself up with stuff that's not good for you. You have filled yourself up with nothing but junk. You have filled yourself up with nothing that will turn to poison inside of your body. But while we're eating, we're saying that it's good. But it's not. Second reason why Jesus rejects these traditions. He says, because those who promote these personal practices... They reject God's word. Simple as that. Those who promote these personal practices reject God's word. Here we go. Mark chapter 7, verse 8. Mark 7, verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. I want you to hear that, boys and girls. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, uh, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Verse 13, uh, making, uh, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. See, Jesus was saying elevating your traditions, here it is, elevating your traditions, be they family, religious, or otherwise, above God's word is a recipe for disaster. Elevating your traditions, be they family, religious, or otherwise, above the word of God is a recipe for disaster. Jesus brings up the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes who dishonor their parents by referring to Moses and the law whom they are supposed to respect and revere. Honor your parents, Jesus says. Don't be disrespectful to your parents, else you are deserving death. According to the Old Testament, uh, children, I want you to hear that, that in God's economy, when you don't honor your father and your mother, God says that you are worthy of death. In fact, you say, well, that's Old Testament. But remember what the New Testament says in Ephesians? It says, uh, children, honor your parents, and that's your father and your mother, so that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. The quality of your life, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean because you may say to yourself, yeah, I know boys and girls all the time who uh, 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 they uh, 
live long and they're still here. And they hit their parents and they cuss at their parents. But I believe that what this passage also tells us that the quality of their life will diminish and it will diminish and it will diminish over time. Because I remember friends today, I remember a friend of mine who uh, in elementary school, I remember him hitting his mom. I remember him doing that. And I called him a big fool in elementary school. You know where he is today? He is dead. He is dead today. He's dead. He died a long time ago. So I've seen it for myself. People who dishonor their parents, I've actually seen them die. There's nothing good that can come out of your life when you don't respect your mother and your father the way that you should. This is what God has put into place. So if you get things out of order, I tell you what, you will have to answer to God. If you think that you're getting away with something, know that God sees you, God is watching you, and he will hold you accountable for your actions, boys and girls. Scripture says, don't be disrespectful to your parents. I don't care how grown you think you get. Right? You're never too grown to honor your parents. But inside of us, right? Inside of us, there's, there's something inside of us that really, uh, that there's a, we feel a sense of shame when we dishonor our parents. Has that ever happened to you? You've tried to come to maybe say something the wrong way to your parents, and inside there's a sense of shame. You know you shouldn't have said that. Something inside of us bears that out. People all over the world in every culture and society have a great sense of this law written on their heart. Here we go, right? Here it is. We have to read this. Come on. Romans chapter 2, verses 14, 15. You want to know an example of the law being written on our hearts? This would be an example. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. There's something that God has put on the inside of us to bear witness to the fact that we're living according to uh, some of his mandates. So uh, the elixir of self-promotion and uh, the continuity of practices that have elevated you to where you are today are difficult to break free from. These spiritual practices were not just true for them when uh, they were in their own little private world, how they operated daily throughout the course of activity. We're talking about the Pharisees now. Some would say this is the very reason why we need to keep our spiritual practice in private. No, you keep your, your spiritual practice in private because it infringes upon the personal space and taste of other folks. But Jesus is trying uh, to get across to us is that a public practice of our religion is acceptable as long as it is, it, it is rooted and grounded in truth. Jesus says that it's okay to tell people about me as long as what you say and how you act is rooted and grounded in truth. This is one of the ways to, to spot a cult. 
want to know whether or not you see a cult or not? And number one, if whatever they're saying, if they have other writings that supersede the Word of God, right? Superseding the Word of God or changing the Word of God, those are one things that you know that you're dealing with a cult. If the Word of God is not the final answer, right? What is your final answer? Here it is. If it is not the final answer, then you have a problem on your hands. And then finally, number three, why Jesus rejects the tradition of men and people. Acts of self-purification do nothing to erase the sinfulness of the heart. Acts of self-purification do nothing to erase the sinfulness of the heart. Mark 7, verse 18. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Our private heart determines our public action. Jesus says that what is put on the inside of our bodies is not what, what defiles us and makes us unclean. It's not because you want to go home and eat a bacon sandwich that's going to make you unclean. It's not because you like pork chops, right? That's not going to uh, cause you to be a, sin, a sinner before God. What makes us defile are those things that come out of us. This means that, here it is, that that dream that you had, and you know those crazy things that happen in your dreams? You know those crazy things that happen in your dreams? That does not mean that just because that dream happened that that thing is going to go on. As a matter of fact, I want to give you this, and I hope you take it, and I hope you pray about it and pray for it, uh, that a lot of that stuff is nothing but Satan trying to come in in order to downcast your spirit and try to get you uh, to, to sign on to his agenda. Did you not know that? Just like God can throw his seed. Did you know that the devil, he has seed that he wants to, to cast in your life? So if you are having those dreams and you've had those dreams which it seems like nothing good come out of it, and then you cast that down in the name of Jesus Christ. What does Paul says? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself to with the knowledge of God and bringing captivity, all those things, to the obedience of Christ. So what do you do according to Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3? You bring that thought captive, and you say, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, no, and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over my mind right now. That's how you come. You are not just going to sit back like a victim. You're not going to sit there all idly, but you're going to enter into the process knowing that you are not going to be a victim, but you're going to be victorious in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't believe the press. Don't believe the press. Verses 21 through 23, as we uh, see with most lists in Scripture, they are not meant to be exhaustive. Jesus does not mention every single sin that happens. So if your sin is not here, say, oh, well, good, <laughs> I'm in a good place. No, uh, this is just giving you a general idea of the sins that are there. Verse 20, as a matter of fact. And he said, 
what comes out of a person is what defiles him, 21, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And look what he calls them. All these, what kind of things? Now look at that list. Look at the list. Verse 23, he says, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. These are the things that emerge from our hearts. In other words, uh, they would never come out unless... They were in there to begin with. You'll never do what you don't have a mind to do. You'll never do what you don't have a mind to do. The reason that you do the things you do is because you have a mind to do it. It has to be planted somehow in some way. A precarious thing to note was Jesus not only spoke, listen to this, to the Pharisees, but his disciples as well. As Jesus mentions this list of sinfulness, we must not forget the disciples were not perfect. They had to have thought about their own lives and the very struggles they had with sin. These were the same disciples that Jesus sent out to spread the gospel and heal the sick. Remember that? We just read that back in chapter 6 of, of Mark. Starting in verse 7, remember that? That he sent them out two by two, and they went out healing folks and casting out demons. And now he is saying, look at this list of sins, uh, Pharisees and my disciples. So the Pharisees were not the only ones with the problem. It's also those who were following Jesus and agreeing with him, just like we say amen in church. Like we say, yeah, in church. All those things, Jesus was saying that this word is pointing at you. This word is not just for somebody else. Even though I started talking about somebody else, you better look at your own worship to see if your own worship is right before you start pointing your finger at somebody else, Jesus says. The unanswered question. At the end of this episode, a question is then left unanswered. So he said, what question? There's no question here. But Jesus asked a question for the disciples who needed to know the meaning of the parable in verse 15. At the end of verse 23, the question is left unanswered, which no one asked. So in uh, verse 15, Jesus answered the question. But at the end of verse 23, the question is left no, uh, that unanswered that nobody even asked. He went through this whole, we can say this whole chapter, he went through this whole scene and he made it here. It was like the end. Like a cliffhanger. He's looking at us, asking us the question, what now? Who then exists on this planet? and not have these things come out of their own hearts. Can't you see it now? The disciples all along thinking Jesus was going after the Pharisees for their shallowness, hypocrisy, and sin. 
But then, as that arrow went out, there were a couple of arrows that made a bow face. And it turned towards them. So Jesus is asking us today, what about your worship? Do you have a worship of hypocrisy? Are you just like the, the, the Pharisees in some sense? That you raise up your hands to worship and you look really good. Your worship looks really, really deep. But Jesus says, it's nothing. He says, are you willing to look at yourself? Are you willing to do the hard thing? Let's pray. The hard thing, Father, is for us to make right that which you deem is wrong. And Father, as we looked at that list of sins, we ask ourselves the question, who then is more than able to deliver us from those sins? But we know what can wash away our sins. Nothing, absolutely nothing, but the blood of Jesus. So Father, we come to you right now in repentance. For some of us, we have lived our lives as Christians, but we have lived our lives as hypocritical Christians, full of hypocrisy. So for us, Lord God, we ask you that you would forgive us, because as we begin this time of prayer and fasting, we want you to be pleased with our life. Father, be pleased with our life. So we ask you, Lord God, that you would wash us clean today, Lord God, after uh, this week, Lord. We know that we can never do enough in order to obtain our own righteousness. It must be done through Jesus Christ, Christ alone. So, Father, we may know that uh, we are in relationship with you. But those other little things that creep into our life, Lord God, we just pray that you would just help us and give us the strength today, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. We love you and we thank you for what you're trying to accomplish in our life today. And you can accomplish that in our life today if we are willing, if we are open, and if we welcome your spirit. Do your work in us today. Hallelujah. If there's anyone in this room today that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have never made an allegiance to trust in Jesus Christ, we want to pray with you today, and we want to lead you to the one uh, that will erase all of your sins, because our righteousness cannot erase our own sin. Jesus wants to erase our sins. Is, is there someone today that would like to give their life to trust in Jesus Christ, to turn away from that sin and say, Jesus, today is my day. Is there one in here today that says, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus 
raise your hand in the air. We want to pray with you. Is there one in here today? Is there one in here today? Is there one? So again, Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Pray that you would strengthen us and lead us. Teach us how to worship without hypocrisy, Lord God, so that we may be right before your very presence. Please receive our repentance today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen, Church. Can we all stand to our feet? Amen. God bless you, Pastor Spencer, for that powerful.